Today on the Dolby Institute podcast, we have an exclusive interview with two-time Academy Award-nominated cinematographer, Faden Papamichael, to talk about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. So Faden and director James Mangold had some pretty big challenges on this film, updating the classic Indiana Jones look, shooting an extraordinary number of chase sequences, and using groundbreaking visual effects to make 80-year-old action star Harrison Ford look convincing as a much younger version of himself. Now, if you caught our previous conversation with Faden about his Oscar-nominated work on The Trial of the Chicago 7, then you already know how fun and candid he is to talk shop with. But don't take my word for it. Let's hear from the man himself. I wanted to take a step back though and kind of ask you about like, what was your first connection with Indiana Jones? Do you remember seeing Raiders for the first time? Yeah, I do remember seeing Raiders. I was probably uh, in high school in, in Germany. I believe I went and saw it in a, a theater and then um, loved it, you know. Um, uh, American films, you know, growing up in Europe, I mean, we had actually, because there was, like only three TV channels. I'm very old, so this and they were black and white. And you know, on Saturdays, it was a tradition. We would watch a John Ford Western or a Western, you know, uh, on on Saturday night, and I was allowed. So, but you know, all these uh, these kind of films were very special to us. And I mean, I remember uh, Close Encounters in the theater, Jaws in the theater, you know, all that, like I'm, I'm from that generation where I actually saw it when, when it was released and, and Indy is just an incredible character. Um, and so much fun and, and ironically, I mean, not ironically, but like so many crew members said, came up to me or in since, you know, we've been having been involved with this, they go, well, that's like, that's, Raiders is a movie that made me want to be in the film industry, you know, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's obviously, you know, great, a, a great experience, great uh, opportunity and uh, to, to carry on this, you know, it's a historic franchise and it's, it's the last one perhaps with Harrison Ford. I won't, I won't speak for other people, but you know, we're, uh, and, and, you know, Harrison is just like the, most inspiring, fascinating person to work with. I mean, given his age, I'm also at advanced age and I always complain about little pains and aches. And then I, I watch this guy and it's just like, wow, you know, I really should shut up. <laughs> and, he, you know, just the fact, you know, that he loves so much what he does and, you know, um, and, and, you know, Mangold said, if can, like this was really, Came together with love. Everybody um, is 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 just you know such a big fan of the franchise of Harrison and and has so many historic and sentimental attachments to to the whole series. So it's um, you know a lot of emotions in it, um, and you know a lot of expectations. And of course, you know we want to pay tribute to it and we you know i'm as you know my my normal work is a bit you know we do consider ourselves hollywood filmmakers with mangled and i i mean ford versus ferrari i mean i always say this i mean i i have european background i love robbie miller and and uh, you know not necessarily influenced uh stylistically by by classic hollywood lighting but i do think of myself as i'm a hollywood 
cinematographer. I mean, now I'm a, even a veteran, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, you know, but it was a lot of fun, you know, to look at Dougie's work and Doug, Douglas Solcom's work again and be inspired and play with harder lights, atmospheric smoke, shafts of light, the colors, you know, the more saturated colors, the warmth, the, the sun, you know, all things that I, I typically try to be more subtle with. Uh, but, you know, uh, to have an opportunity to, to really embrace it. And, you know, my, my very, very good friend, as you know, is Janusz Kaminski. And, you know, he's a bit, has broader strokes in general. But, you know, we go way back 35 years and he was my gaffer at some point. And, you know, so we kind of started and learned together. And I asked him before the movie, I go, how is it doing indie? And he goes, it's the hardest movie I ever made. And, you know, I can elaborate of course, a right, lot about because, that. because Janusz, he had obviously shot the the fourth one for uh, for Spielberg. Yeah, but I'm really glad that you brought that up because I, you know, for me, the, the obviously you know our audience knows that the first three movies were shot by uh, Douglas Slocum, and the images, especially in, in the first Raiders, are just iconic. So, uh, what were the conversations between you and James about you know? about making this fit sort of in the Indiana Jones universe. And you, you touched on this a little bit, but I'd love to hear more about like, what's the, what's the approach to lighting to make this actually feel like an Indiana Jones film. And then obviously you kind of went in your own direction on some stuff as well. Yeah. I mean, there's some, you know, some classics, which is the silhouettes, the shadows, like, you know, the, you know, so that requires harder light. Uh, and we were looking, you know, from early on, he goes, you know, we're thin, keep thinking about where we're going to introduce, you know, him putting on the hat for the first time. First time we see him, um, you know, so we have a, in the, in the, in the prequel or flashback or opening sequence, which is during World War II and he's um, de-aged, uh, which we can talk about separately. But, you know, there's a moment where he turns around and puts his hat on and I played like there's a red light going by on the outside. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking for like, to hit that in additional, in addition to him revealing himself for the first time in the film with a hat, uh, with a stylistic effect of like this red light, uh, and you know it did it was effective because I saw it at the premiere at the Dolby Theater and uh, and the audience applauded. You know, like it it was noticed, and then we you know we have it again later when he's in Morocco and. Um, you know, also him stepping into little shafts of light and especially that, that uh, hotel where the auction takes place, you know, had a lot of opportunity to play with, you know, that, that sort of classic uh, Casablanca, but also, you know, like Douglas lighting. And, and we do, we did screen when I was in the DI with Skip Kimball at Company 3, we, we do, and I've done this before. I did it in Nebraska. I screened uh, Paper Moon. You know, I do because I do want the film look. Of course, we ended up not shooting film, but I feel like we've been quite successful really accomplishing a, a film texture and film look, and we do vignettes, and I use the vintage glass, anamorphics, expanded C-series, the way, um, you know, the same basic glass that was used on the original so you know it helps all that but i do think uh, uh, it's nice to project film in the di because i look at the contrast i look as you know because we forget you know we've become so used to it then with digital projection and and you know just to remind ourselves wow look at the contrast actually how little 
detail was in the blacks, you know, um, and how, uh, you know, the latitude is just not nearly the same, which I like, you know. So whenever people go, oh, there's a new camera out that has even like 20 stops, <laughs> you know, I go, I don't really want that. I want like three stops. I want it to be like my Kodak stock that I grew up on. And I want the things to burn out. And they go, you know, the DIT goes, well, you're illegally. It's like, no, I go, I, it's, it's okay. I don't want to see. I, I want it blown out. And I, I don't want to see uh, more shadow detail. So anyway, so, but we do put that up and we remind ourselves, you know, about the film quality and the feeling you get from it. Uh, of course, now it's mostly digital projectors in any case. So no matter what, even if you shoot on film, it's going to be viewed by the majority of people probably by everyone on a, on a film, uh, on, a, on a digital projection. So it's going through the DI process anyway, but it's, it's very much, uh, something, you know, I try to approximate and, you know, especially in the opening sequence, we, with Mangled, we always said, uh, when he's young and, uh, let's, let's really make it look like lost footage, like something maybe Spielberg shot and, you know, didn't use, or, you know, like we just really try to embrace a lot of, uh, you know, the, the classic visual elements of the original. I'm really glad that you said that because when I, when I watched it, uh, I had that sense of like the, the, the extended flashback at the beginning in the, the World War II sequence did feel to me like a very classic, you know, it felt like the first three movies to me. But then you get to New York in 1969, and I feel like you guys just went visually in a very different direction. Well, we wanted that transition to be, you know, he's now at his current age and we knew it's going to be, you know, quite a shocker and something that the audience has to like swallow. And we do it with a bang, you know, it's like, it's, it's 68. It's like this New York apartment. His, he's in his underwear and he gets up and walks right in camera. He's in his underwear. And I go, I go, Jim, people are going to go <gasps> when they see that. And actually the reaction was like incredible, uh, at least in my screening. I mean, it was like, you know, applaud. Like he gets up in his boxer shorts, he's pissed, he opens the window, it's a little brownstone in the village or wherever, and, um, and you know, great, grabs a baseball bat. And it's just, it's like, you know, you that's an introduction that, you know, we always intended that transition. I mean, it's such a, like, you know, visually, but also, you know, indie now, like, uh, about to retire professor and grumpy and, you know, and about to get divorced and all these things. I, I don't know how many spoilers they, they usually don't like. We're posting after the movie comes out. So, you know, that was uh, always the intent to, you know, we, we talked about other films, like when we go to New York, uh, like, you know, we really wanted uh, a different sort of grittier, um, which it ended up not really being because it's still lush and it's still, nice to play with the colors and, you know, the parade and all that. And then we shot Glasgow for New York and it ended up all being uh, a sunny, sunny couple of weeks we shot there. So, you know, but uh, it's still, you know, just by what's in the frame is so dramatically in contrast to the opening sequence, which is entirely night uh, to dawn. And uh, and then you go into I, I think also you know indie mode but but definitely uh, a big visual leap you know into a, a different uh, palette and all that the New York sequences I thought I thought it was so beautiful just the the you know your use of of the strong side lighting and the high contrast I you know just yeah just I mean I still did 
you know, stylized, more aggressive lighting. Um, so that's why I'm saying it's still in the indie spirit. Um, you know, I'm not like, it's not natural, soft and natural and, uh, you know, it's not Lewin Davis or anything. So, you know, um, you know, it definitely has like, you know, I mean, I, I have a tribute to Janusz in there, you know, there's like when he's pouring his coffee and he pours some whiskey in it. And actually I was at the screening and Janusz was sitting next to me. He was my plus one at the premiere. And, um, and I said, this one's for you. This is a tribute to you. You know, it's like this flair and, you know, it's, it's, you know, so I'm always, you know, in, in this movie, I'm always looking and embracing, uh, you know, the, all those elements. Well, I too was at the premiere at the uh, at the Dolby Theater. Oh, uh, great, in Los Angeles. Oh, so and you know the reactions. I mean, that was uh, you know great. I mean, of course, there were lots of fans dressed up. Uh, <laughs> there were so a lot of doors in the in the, in yeah, the audience. It was a, a very you know enthusiastic crowd. But it's it's great to see. You know, I kept turning to Mangold and because. You know, can can we had a premiere? It was it's a different crowd. You know, uh, I'm not saying you know people didn't like it, but um, it's it it was nice to see every little thing. You know, we were hoping you know like God got got its appropriate response and reaction. So it was it was fun to watch it with a, a lot of fans in the audience. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, so it's it's but it's all in good fun and it's in good spirit. You know, and you have to remember. Um, you know, it's it's Indiana Jones movie. I mean, it's you can't be too precious about it. It's it's all about you know, and 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 including his vulnerability and uh, his his the humor and you know, I mean, it's very difficult and challenging technically because it's continuous action. They're always on the move. They're running on a train. They're like they're underwater. They're on a boat. They're in an airplane. They're on a tuk tuk. Uh, I mean, and. But still, and what is Mangle specialty, same as Ford and Ferrari, Ford versus Ferrari, we, it's also, you know, it's an action movie, it's a race car movie, the way in the car a lot, but it's always about connecting to the character, and that's our, our main goal. And, and dramatically, we always, you know, none of this action works if you're not connected to the character. So we have to be there, we have to get all those indie moments, we have to communicate uh, all the humor and it's, it's challenging because no one's ever sitting at a table and, you know, uh, talking about anything. There's one scene, I think in the movie where, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge and, and Harrison, you know, when they first meet in the bar. And I think that's the only time we sort of have conventional, or, you know, coverage. <laughs> it's like every other thing is just out of control. So I'm curious about something you were saying earlier. I, 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 I wanted to ask you sort of about your, um, your experience in the DI suite, but when you said that, you know, you were, you were projecting and you were going for that film look, the, the other thing that I noticed definitely at the premiere was this movie looks stunning in Dolby vision, but the blacks are so like, especially that first, you know, that, that first sequence all at night, the blacks are so just <laughs> like inky and delicious. Yeah. Inky is good because we always say we want the blacks inky and and mangled in not just on this but his his aesthetics lean towards like he's a photographer also he works on his photos they're always very saturated and contrasty so that's where he uh, naturally tends to want to go to anyway and of course in this case you know even more so and you know it's very tricky for us to go from because he cuts you know, his years, like in editing, watching on a 60-inch OLED. So he's used to, you know, 
that contrast of blacks of the richness with the luminance and then you go on a on a on a screen and we keep explaining to him this we're in a different color space you know you see this is the edge of frame that's as black as it gets and i kept saying but you know we also have in the room we have a dolby uh, we have a laser projector so we can put it up you know we also sometimes compare it to the oled monitor um, so, you know, it's that he gets, he's so in love with that. So he, and in the screening, he turned around and he said to me, this is the best I've seen it look ever. Cause we haven't actually, I wasn't there to supervise the, 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 uh, the laser, um, pass. And, uh, you know, to me, it looked, to me, actually it looked kind of too bright overall because I just hadn't been used to, uh, you know, seeing that much you know, that much pop off of things. And I guess also, I mean, in a way, the blacks are inky and rich and black, but also, you know, you do have more detail. You have more detail in the highlights and, you know, so it's... Uh, That's the other thing I kind of noticed as well, like, uh, and, and and maybe this was unintentional on, on your part, but just the, the, you know, the highlights also really just grabbed my attention too. There's that, 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 that first sequence in Indy's apartment in the morning and the yeah. morning light is coming through. It just, I, to me, it was just stunning and beautiful. For contrasty lighting, it, it looks really great. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, but again, I don't have that much experience because I've never actually been, you know, we, we usually just do our, our regular complete our, our color session. And then, you know, they get the skip does the, the, the Dolby passes and, and, uh, the HDR passes. And so, um, but uh, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was great to see it that way. And I do think this movie in particular plays really well. On For sure. Well, we thought it looked great. I'm very happy to hear that James thought it looked great as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he said this the best I've seen it. So that's great. Well, tell so me a little bit about me. And I know we tried to get him on, um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's true that he said that. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about uh, the 1944 sequence. It's basically the first almost half hour of the film. Obviously, kind of the the, the big conversation piece is that this is the this was the sequence with the Harrison Ford and the de aging process. So, yeah. how did that how did that affect you in photography? Was there I mean, how did you was there any le special lighting considerations or shooting considerations that you had to to factor in? Well, initially, because look, we were all doing it for the first time um uh and uh, this is ilm's you know version of something that we were only familiar through through deep fake or yeah, deep fake yeah <laughs> so you know we didn't really know and i go well how do we deal with this and you know we had the two witness cameras that so we had like the three camera setup sometimes i when I'm steady camming, I only needed one additional camera. We had like the little dots on his face, but initially, when we started testing it uh, before we before the principal photography, you know, there were I was presented with some concerns and restrictions, like if you can um, if you can match the lighting maybe to existing lightings for from other Raiders movies, you know, it'll apply easier. It'll be more successful. Um, I go, well, that's going to be tricky. Like, you know, in every sequence I have to see is there a sequence where he has a similar side light or a top light, you know, um, 
it turned out that wasn't really a factor. You know, we also didn't realize like the turnaround time ended up being pretty quick. Not, of course, the final. They worked on the final for a long time, but we were getting results back within, you know, a few days, I think maybe maximum a week where we could, I mean, there was still a little square attached to it, but, you know, we, we saw that, wow, this is really going to work. And we were all very impressed and including Harrison, he was like, you know, it's bizarre seeing yourself. So I, I didn't really have restrictions with lighting. I lit it the way I, I would have in a normal situation and over the way I wanted to on the train. I mean, anyway, it's changing all the time and uh, I couldn't really, um, uh, but, you know, the camera, I mean, the two witness cameras sometimes when I mean, we're in the train, it's narrow, it's stacked with stolen goods and boxes. You know, it was, it was, it was uh, but again, you know, then they were also fine doing it with one camera. But it was a little bit of a, you know, learning curve for all of us, you know, including the effects supervisors and the effects producers. And uh, then we also, you know, shot a lot of, like, scanning his face and, they just like wanted a lot of backup and a lot of, you know, like, you know, just, I mean, I guess for more information, but the fact that Harrison has been, there's so much footage of him shot in anamorphic over, you know, all of his years, uh, like Matt Mickelson, who also got a little application, um, you know, the, when, when he was young, he was only doing Danish television. And I think it was like, you know, PAL video, so, but the fact that, you know, for, for Harrison, I mean, it exists on film and so many situations, different lighting situations and uh, that, you know, I guess that's, that's when it's uh, really helpful for them to, to have, uh, you know, they, they can sort of take it from similar things. Don't ask me because I don't really know how it's done, but I think, you know, basic, and, and what the big difference is, is that Harrison's acting out all these things. So all the close-ups, <coughs> all his facial gestures, his speech delivery, all that is original. It's not like somebody's doing it and then you plant that. That, of course, is really great. That means also that the performance is intact and it is Harrison acting. It's not like, you know, it's not some computer-generated thing. It's not some other actor with face replacement. You know, it's, it's, it's Harrison acting it out. Uh, of course, you know, when it's something very physical and stuff, sometimes it's his uh, stuntman, Masa, doing, you know, but that, those are usually wider shots. But all all the close-ups, everything uh, is him performing every single scene. You've done some big movies uh, in the past, but just like we were alluding to, this is an extraordinarily VFX-heavy film. You've got these huge action sequences. You've got, you've got Harrison Ford on a horse riding through a subway tunnel. Like, Tell me about your relationship with the VFX crew and how do you sort of, you know, I'm sure that that's, you know, that changes your trajectory of how you're working as a cinematographer. Yeah, I mean... It is VFX heavy, but again, it's not like uh, a completely, it's like a, a world that exists. Uh, of course, it's augmented. We're replacing things. We're cleaning up things. We're adding things. But let me just say, you can go to every location on this movie and stand there if you're an indie fan and and walk the street or go on the beach in Sicily or go to the the temple, uh, go to the cave entrance. All those are real locations. Um of course, you know, um, as you know, in the, 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 the beach sequence and in the end, uh, we're dealing with quite a few additions in the effects. And also, 
sky replacements because there's a storm brewing. And so, um, you know, it was very important for me to very, very closely work with Andrew, our VFX supervisor. And, um, and I had, I made sure he's, uh, in, in my DIT tent because I would constantly go. So listen, listen, Andrew, I'm going to light this like it's sunny. Are we going to like have, because it was, it's overcast, but I'm going to make it sunny because when we add, the city of Syracuse in the background, we do want to, you know, have sun on the building. So, you know, it was very important to communicate and, and, you know, make sure that I understand what the final result will be. I mean, same in BDI, it was very tricky because we were started timing reels, we're timing the actors, but like we don't have final versions of the background. And I go, it's really difficult to do it, you know, because it's all about balancing and contrast and, so it became very challenging because although everything is shot on location, a lot of additional coverage was then shot on stage months later. And um, uh, although the subway, for example, as you mentioned it, I mean, that's, we built the entire subway, Adam Stockhausen built entire New York subway station. The train was functioning, it could pull into the station. Um, all these things were incredible, but you know, their shots, Later that we needed Harrison close on the horse. I mean, he actually rides some of the stuff. It's it's just crazy. But um, but you know, it's the finding the balance between what what you know integrating close ups. You know, I think that's where like a volume stage or LED walls would really work for for close coverage. And um, um, uh, yeah, Greg Fraser was talking about it also. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I did a whole movie recently that's all volume stage, but we didn't have, you know, we didn't have a final content to fit, uh, to to play back on the walls. So even though like the airplane sequence with the Henkel bomber, um, we knew it's a storm, but I couldn't really use it, the LED walls, because it was not the final version of the storm. But, you know, we fed in. So I still get some of the interactive light, like an approximation of what the final will be. But I on the LED wall, it ended up being a glorified green screen. You know, I would gen generate where, you know, so we don't have to roto too much. But, but you know, I still took advantage and had it a little bit as a lighting source. Uh, but most of my lighting is coming off my LED panels, my vortexes and my sky panels. And I'm constantly riding them on this little DMX that it's a little portable wireless dimmer board, 12 channel. I have one, my gaff has one. And we have a script supervisor calling out the cues, you know, approaching the vortex, uh, breaking through, you know, and we're like, okay, bring up all the maxi brutes, you know. And so it's like very much a live mix while we're watching the monitors in the DIT tent. And I got Andrew there, the VFX supervisor. I got my gaffer. I got um, headsets for operators. And I hear the script supervisor is on the plane and she's calling out not just for us, but for the actors. So they can all react to what, you know, in this case, the plane is going through. Is it rolling? Is it, you know, going through what part of a storm? So it was, it was uh, a lot of fun and very challenging uh, as well. And, and same with the tuk-tuk, you know, second unit went ahead and shot a lot of the tuk-tuk chase sequence through Morocco, through the streets. You know, they're down going this narrow alley that doesn't have direct sun. It makes a turn. It it's, goes into full frontal sun. So 
of course, all that is previsd, then you know, then we fill it in with the, the second unit shots, and then when we're doing the coverage of Harrison and and Phoebe, uh, I'm actually watching it playback the sequence, what we have of the second unit shots, and then what is uh, uh, still left over for previs, and then with the live camera that we're now shooting on 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 stage. And I have all the lights for every direction. And okay, and then someone's calling, like actually my DIT, Ben Appleton, is calling out, okay, they're making a left into front. And I'm like, shoot, you know, uh, channel 12 up, like full frontal, you know, and then, okay, they're going to go right into shade. And, and like, so I'm like live reacting to it. You know, it's like, I don't know, you know, we're just making that stuff up. I mean, but like trying to, and it's 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 great when you finally see it and you go, oh, that can you know that worked pretty well. It works. That yeah, worked pretty well sure. because you know we don't want to just do these little close-ups just for tiny little sections. You know, often it's coverage for a longer sequence that, that let's say goes two minutes in in the edit and and you know and uh, you know we didn't want to interrupt the flow of the actors and all you know them hanging on the tuck tuck and trying to reach and throwing another guy off it, you know, all that, like we don't, we didn't want to break it up and to, to make it too fragmented for the performances as well. You've touched on a lot of the sequences that I wanted to ask you about that I thought were just so visually arresting. But one, one of uh, the, the sequences that I thought was just particularly striking, and I just love the look. It's a, again, in the New York sequence, it's, it's uh, Andy and, and, and uh, Helena and the archive, uh, right when she sort of makes that first escape. Stay where you are. Don't move. Who are these people? We need to get out of here. Are they with you? Not an inch, Michelle. Michelle, stop! Stop! Sorry. Helena! Captain Jones, it's over. Who are you people? What do you want? She's on the roof. Find another way up. Dr. Jones. Dr. Jones, we're not going to hurt you. Tell us about that sequence and designing the look for the archive and, 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 and what went into that sequence. Well, you know, those archives, I mean, again, that was an opportunity to... to paid tribute to, you know, Janusz and Spielberg and Dougie. I mean, it was this beautiful set that Adam built. Uh, again, it's on stage, and we had the, the tall windows and, you know, try to play it, play it moody. I put a lot of atmosphere, brought in the beams, and it was just one of those things that, like, yeah, that's, that's a nice opportunity for some classic indie lighting and... Um, uh, you know, it seems like same in the lecture hall. You know, it seems like lecture halls are part of typically the first act of the Indiana Jones movie. And that was also, you know, a nice opportunity with the projection and him actually sliding that. That's no VFX. It's all him, actually. It's uh, practical. And uh, the beam of light, whenever you can have beams of light and shafts and, uh, you know, it's just like always looking for that. Uh we have some nice wide shots in in in, in the uh, in the archive. 
uh, like high wide and also following them in that little hinge. I think it's, you know, it just creates a lot of atmosphere and mystique and excitement. Tell us a little bit about the prep process. I mean, I know you, you, you mentioned that you shot digitally, uh, but there's, I take it there was a lot of experimentation with lenses and sort of what was, what, what were the major puzzle pieces that you had to solve during prep? Well, you know, since we, since I discovered uh, that, that I could expand anamorphics and cover the LF sensor, the LF sensor, really on, on Ford vs. Ferrari, because uh, I really wanted anamorphic, and but at the time it was super limited or non-existent, like uh, anamorphic with the characteristics uh, to cover the large format, and that's when Dan Sasaki of Panavision uh, had suggested where he goes, well, I can expand it and make it more go. But so Ford versus Ferrari was basically, they were kind of prototypes. Like when we went into week one, I mean, I mean, no one's ever done that. And they still were kind of flawed and all that, uh, but looked great. You know, the, the fact that it's large format, but still has anamorphic uh, lens characteristics. So I really enjoyed uh, that look and, and then have uh, applied it uh, on several features after that, Trial of the Chicago 7, I did something, you know, basically LF with expanded anamorphics, different ones. Uh, and then, um, so in the year, two years since Ford vs. Ferrari, it became quite popular. I guess a lot of people like that look. And then, so they've expanded quite a few. They've perfected them. You know, they've, they've done it on T-series. So we actually... The T-Series also on Indie because they have great close focus capability, uh, better than the Cs. So, and, and Jim really likes to be physically close often with the, with the camera. It's not like we're on the techno crane hosing things down and, you know, it's multiple cameras and also um, shooting a longer lens to cover at the same time. We're still very much our approach is the way we would shoot any other film uh, there's one hero camera, that's the shot. If we can set another camera without getting in the way or interfering, we will obviously look for that opportunity. But we're very much about, you know, being physically close with the camera, creating that intimacy, giving the audience a sense of connecting and being right there with them the same way we did in Ford vs. Ferrari. So uh, a lot of that uh, applied to this uh, genre uh, and um, and therefore I went with the same concept and same you know, different lens package because of the T's. Uh, but but uh, yeah, I didn't really test that much because I just had really learned to use and appreciate it. And then it was an easy decision for me to go with that. Well, one final question for you, Faden. So we know you also direct. Uh, and we're, uh, we know you have a, a new film that you just, uh, that you finished light falls, which uh, we're all hoping to see maybe this fall. Tell us, uh, before we let you go, sort of, how does that feed you as an artist photographing for other directors like James Mangold or Aaron Sorkin, and then making your own films? Yeah, well, obviously when people find out I direct as well, they always go, Oh, what do you prefer? You know, I go like, it's very much the same thing for me because I, I don't think of myself like, I don't know, I'd like to pigeon in my whole, myself, uh, uh, pigeonhole myself. <laughs> because, you know, I'm a filmmaker. I grew up, 
as a photographer, actually, my dad was a painter, but also production designer. I was wanted to be a painter, then still photographer. Then just because I could afford and take photos, I got into still photography. Then I go, oh, this is kind of boring. It's always by myself. Like I'd rather collaborate. Then I saw this movie, Le Mépris, and I realized, oh, wow, you can actually tell a story and still apply composition and 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 then but move the camera also so you know it was always just a natural development and i wrote a script you know at like the same age like we're talking like 19 years old 20 22 you know i go oh then i can make a movie and with my photographer i mean it's 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 just kind of like and you know when you talk to a lot of the, the old masters you know like old uh russian filmmakers the guys who did I'm Cuba and the cranes are flying. You know, it's like uh, when you say, who are your great filmmakers that are in China, they, they say this director and this cinematographer, like they're all considered filmmakers and often they switch roles. Like the guy will shoot something for his, you know, and, and, you know, the Mexicans currently, I mean, Rodrigo Chiva, you know, they all, they can all direct, they can all shoot. I've directed commercials also for many decades, you know, so to us, it's very natural going back and forth. I guess sometimes maybe there's a perception that, you know, we're not so good with actors, but, you know, I work as a cameraman because I also operated for so many years, you know, I'm my relationship to, I mean, Bruce Dern told me, I remember every operator I've ever worked with because that's the first human that when someone says cut, I look, that's the first eyes I make contact with. And he gives me a little thumbs up or I can tell, you know, I can tell by his expression. I mean, they have, we have a special relationship, you know, just like when I did Descendants with George Clooney, you know, then he asked me to do the movie he directed because, you know, there's like, we have a natural rapport because we are in that tiny little magic triangle where everything happens, you know, but the camera operator, the focus puller, the boom guy, and the director, ideally on an Apple box next to it, and the actors. You know, that's really where the movie gets made. No matter what the scale is, no matter, you know, there's 1,000 people supporting that magic triangle or 40 people, you know, it's still it still needs to happen. The magic still needs to happen there. So to me, it's very, it's very easy, and I like deal, dealing with actors, and, and uh, I, I, I love uh, doing both. And it's not like I'm a frustrated cinematographer and I want to direct. I, I'm very happy often after I direct that I can go back to DP duties because there's a lot of other un, unpleasant, more unpleasant things that you, know, you have to deal with when you're a director-producer like financing, casting, uh, distribution, sales. Uh, <laughs> you know, I do love editing also, and I think that's very helpful uh, having spent, you know, I've done five, six movies as a director. Spending so much time in the edit really makes you understand, you know, what do you need, how to shoot a scene, how to cover a scene. And Mangled, of course, you know, we're always talking about what is the shot before, what is this. We're very quick when we come up with coverage, but it's partially because I feel like, I really also understand editing, you know, I go like a, a move at the speed is not going to work. It's not going to play in this shot. A big, slow crane move down. That's not going to be used in this portion of the scene. Like where is the sweet spot where the crane is most likely, this move is most likely to be used, you know? So that's very important to understand. It's not just about creating a beautiful, long tracking shot 
uh, that is stunning in composition, if you know it's never going to be used that way, it's like then you're just disappointed and heartbroken, which a lot of young cinematographers are when they see their movie edited. They go, well, we had such a great, you know, we had such a great wide shot. I'm like, well, you should have known they're not going to be on that wide shot when he's telling her, I love you, you know? <laughs> That's a great point. Faden, yeah. it's been such a pleasure to have you back on the show and talking with you again today. We really, My pleasure, I think, too. I think, this, I think this film is fantastic, and I can't oh, wait. Oh, great. Well, thank you, and I'm glad you enjoyed it, and uh, we'll do it again. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. It's playing now at a Dolby Cinema near you in glorious Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos. You can find links, as always, in our show notes. If you'd like even more conversations with artists and filmmakers about how they use technology to tell their stories, please be sure that you are subscribed to us, the Dolby Institute Podcast. You can find links to our show on all the major podcasting platforms, including the video version on YouTube, in our show notes. Or you can just search for Dolby wherever you get your podcasts. If you're curious to know more about the Dolby Institute, head on over to dolbyinstitute.com. There you'll find information about all of our programs. You can access the entire library of episodes of this podcast, and you can sign up for our mailing list. Until next time, thanks again for joining us. This is the Dolby Institute podcast. I'm your host, Glenn Kaiser. Our producer and editor is Michael Coleman. Our executive producers are Amanda Schneider and Jack Ferry, with additional editing by Matt Nixon. And our production coordinator is Sonny Chen. Thanks for watching. <laughs>